for the Bible that you can find a passage and that you can know where a verse is when you need it the most. So these children are going to show us what they've learned this year. just want to take a minute this morning and tell you what they have learned. Um, they started working on Bible drill under the leadership of Bob Lee in January. And so in just a few short months, they have learned how to find books of the Bible in 10 seconds or less, many of them much less. They've also memorized 25 uh, Bible verses, and they can find 10 key passages like the birth of Jesus or um, the love chapter. Um, they don't memorize the whole passage. They just know where to find it if they need it. Um, over the past two weeks, they've participated in church drills, associational drills, and the state drill. And this morning, we want to recognize them for their hard work, and they're going to participate in a short drill just to show you um, what they've learned, and then we'll recognize them. Okay. We will have four different types of, of drills, a quotation drill, a completion drill, Bible drill, and key passage drill. Our first drill is, is a quotation drill. I will give the reference if the participant knows the verse, he steps forward on the command start. When called upon, the participant mm, must quote the verse and give the reference. Attention. Ephesians 2.8 Start Aaron For you are saved by grace through faith and it's not from yourselves it is God's gift Thank you Attention Psalms 56 Three. Start. Thank you. Attention. Relax. This will be the completion drill. I will quote the first part of the scripture. If the participant can complete the verse, he steps forward on the command start, prepared to quote the entire verse and give the reference. Attention. If you confess with your mouth, start. This, this way. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and in your heart, God is Lord, and Thank you. Attention. I have treasured your word. Start. Jacob. Thank you. Attention. Relax. This will be the book drill. I will name a book of the Bible. On the command start, you will look for the book 
and when you find it, place your index finger on the page and step forward. If you are called upon, you will give the name of the book, preceding the one called, the book called, and the book following the one called. Attention. Present Bibles. Psalms. Start. Katie. Thank you. Attention. Present Bible. Mark. Start. Thank you. Attention. This is the key passage drill. I will announce the reference by stating the subject or title given to the passage and will give the command start. A participant must locate the chapter containing the reference, place his finger on any portion of the passage, and step forward. When called upon, I will ask the participant to state the key passage and the reference. After stating the key passage and reference, I will ask the same participant to read aloud one or more verses. Attention. Present Bible. God's covenant with Abraham. Start. This way. Please read verse 12, verse 1. Thank you. Attention. Present Bible. The resurrection of Jesus. Start. Louise. The resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 28. Please read verse 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Thank you. Attention. And this concludes our drill. Thank you. When the children participate in Bible drill, they receive a gift each year that we help will help them grow in their um, Christian walk. The first year that they participate in Bible drill, they receive a Bible. And uh, we have seven first-year drillers this year. Katie Rowe. Aaron Lever. Jacob Sow. 
Josue Lopez, Brad Redding, Keaton Lacey, and Grant Matthews also participated but wasn't able to be here today. Um, we have one second year driller that wasn't able to be here today and that was Kaylin uh, Collins and they received a um, Bible cover for their Bible. And then we have uh, two third year drillers. That means they participated in Bible drill fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Luis Lopez is gonna receive a Christian CD and Sarah Blanchard also participated but wasn't able to be here. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing our opening hymn today, Victory in Jesus. Please stand as we sing.
This is uh, Youth Sunday, and after I do this uh, invocation, uh, Victoria Guo will have our welcome. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come today, um, Lord, there's a lot of people in this service, but God, it's really all about you. It really is. And I just pray that our focus would be on you and lifting you up and giving you the glory and honor that you deserve. And we ask that you'd be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, hey, y'all. <laughs> uh, if you have a bulletin, there's a flap that we'd like for you to fill out and place in the offertory basket once they're passed around. And now let's just stand and greet one another. today, and I believe Miss Rachel has the Happy Club bag. Thank you. Okay, let's see what you brought today.
okay. It's a Barbie Princess Bride game. That's cool. So is this your favorite game? Nice. I used to play a game like this when I was little on the computer. It's got princesses and princesses, and then they all are like on an adventure trying to save the kingdom or trying to bring glory to the kingdom because they love their king and they're trying to save their king. Um, did y'all know that we're all princesses and princess? <laughs> princess and princesses. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Well, if God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we're the children of God, that means we're all princes and princesses. So, it's like we're on a little adventure like this computer game, trying to save the kingdom and trying to bring glory to our king. So, that's cool. All right, let's pray. Mm -hmm. Dear God, thank you for loving us and making us your princess and princesses and for sending your only son to die on the cross for us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Who has the happy club this week? James Moore. All right, bring it back next week for Brother Wayne. Now y'all can all go to Children's Church. In the quiet, in the stillness, I know that you are God. In the secret of your presence, I know there I am restored. So where praise 
in the chaos in confusion i know you're sovereign still in the moment of my weakness you give me grace to do your will so when you call i won't delay this my song through all my days because there is Thank you, Lauren. Jamie. Lauren is serving as our youth minister of music. She'll be directing tonight and leading the senior adult choir tonight also. Beautiful job, both of you. Thank you. Please stand as we sing. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all together here this morning, and just so we have a chance to worship you, Lord. Um, I pray that these tithes and these offerings that we're about to collect, Lord, just be used to glorify you and to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, choir. Well, we've come to the last sermon, the last letter of the seven letters from John in Revelation to the churches in Asia Minor. Some have accused me of putting my entire sermon in the bulletin uh, this morning. It is rather lengthy. I think when I got to outlining it, I just got carried away because it's all important. But uh, it's there for you to, to take home and think about in the days ahead because this message, I think, is crucial. It is crucial for the modern church. So many have become lukewarm, and this is the case of Laodicea. The sermon is entitled The Church of Compromise because Laodicea had become so comfortable in its environment, so complacent. Uh, It had compromised so much because in their wealth and prosperity, they decided they could get along very well without anyone else including God. And in this letter, God's telling them how wrong they can be. Revelation three fourteen through 22. Incidentally, um, Sarah Catherine is preaching on the same passage this evening. And I want you to come this evening and, and compare the two sermons. If you like hers better, don't say anything. <laughs> but I think it'll be fun to see how two people approach the same text two different ways. And I hope you'll come this evening and support our youth. Revelation three fourteen. She's going to find out how, uh, what an advantage it is to go first. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation... Verse 15, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich. And white garments to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen. And salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and chasten, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I myself conquered, and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Did you hear that? God would rather us be either cold or hot than lukewarm. Lukewarm nauseates him. We're going to take a look at that today. Let's bow. Father, as we come to consider this last letter, drive it home for us, make it personal. So it's not just a letter to a church 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. But it's a message to us here in Tifton, and not just to a church, but to each one of us personally. Father, heat us up from our lukewarmness and make us on fire for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as I mentioned, this is the last of the seven letters. Laodicea is... 
it completes the uh, clockwise route the postman will be taking, delivering these letters from John exiled on Patmos to the churches in Asia Minor. Let's throw the map up of Asia Minor. You see where John is on Patmos. The first one went to Ephesus and then Smyrna up to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then down to Laodicea. Laodicea is about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. It's about 60 miles due east from Ephesus. We don't know much about the church at Laodicea. We don't know how it got established. We think that Paul had some influence there because over in Colossians chapter 4, Paul's writing his letter to Colossians, and listen to what he says. It's kind of surprising. When this letter, this is Colossians 4.16, when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you read also the letter from Laodicea. So that means that Paul wrote a letter to Laodicea that has since been lost. And he wants the letter he writes to Colossians to be read in Laodicea and the letter he wrote to the Laodiceans to be read in Colossae. A lot of folks think, a lot of scholars think that the letter to the Ephesians was the original letter to Laodicea because in the earliest manuscripts, the words in Ephesus are not in the letter to Ephesians. So some people think it was a, more of a circular letter that was written to several churches beginning with Laodicea and then other churches including uh, Ephesus and eventually became attached primarily to the church of the Ephesians. We don't know what happened to the church at Laodicea. We do know that the church no longer exists and the city no longer exists, much like the church of Sardis. I want to give you some background to this letter, and then as we get into the text, you'll see the significance of the background. Laodicea was originally founded on a high plateau, secure from enemy attack, which sounded like a good idea at the time, but the problem is they had no water supply. And so to get water, they had to bring it. They built great aqueducts, and they brought water from the hot springs in Hierapolis, about six miles north and they brought cold water in from Colossae about 10 miles east. They were also a very wealthy city. Um, we know from Roman history that the city was destroyed by an earthquake in A.D. 61, and the Roman Senate came together and decided to collect money and send aid to Laodicea for them to rebuild. Something interesting happened. The Laodicea said, we don't need your money. If you can imagine a city saying that, they, they felt so self-sufficient, so secure that, that they refused aid from Rome and they rebuilt the city themselves. They didn't need help from Rome. They didn't need help from anybody. They didn't even need help from God. They were so secure and so self-sufficient. They thought they could take care of themselves very well. Thank you very much. They were famous for a few things. There was notoriety because of their wealth. It became the center of banking and finance, one of the richest commercial centers in the ancient world. A lot of trade went through Laodicea. Uh, we know the, the Greek philosopher Cicero, whenever he had a banknote, he would try to cash it in Laodicea, he writes, because there was always plenty of cash available there. It was a wealthy city. We also know that, that there was a certain kind of wool that arose in Laodicea. It came from a sheep that was raised there. It was a dark, rich, 
glossy kind of wool that it was used in making expensive clothing and rugs. And so the clothing industry uh, was centered in Laodicea, and anything fashionable, anything chic, came from Laodicea, much like the Paris of the ancient world. They also had a medical school in Laodicea that eventually became associated with the school of Asclepius. But the medical school in Laodicea was known for making a powder that they pressed into a tablet. And when you took that tablet, they distributed it widely. And when you pressed that tablet into back into powder and added water to it, it became a salve that, that people used inside their eyelids that was used for curing all kinds of eye ailments. And this eye salve arose in Laodicea. So keep all these things in the back of your mind now as we go to the text and you'll see how relevant they are as the Spirit speaks to the church. First of all, Jesus says the words in verse 14 of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Do you know what Amen means when you say Amen at the end of a sermon or Amen in the middle or at the end of a prayer or in the middle of a sermon? You know how you like to say Amen at a good point? Amen. Thank you. It means this is true. It means I agree with this. Jesus says, Amen, Amen. We translate it usually, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. It means that what Jesus is getting ready to pronounce is very important and it's very true. So when you say Amen at the end of a a prayer or Amen in a sermon, At the end of a point, what you're saying is, I I agree, this is true, I support this. It is trustworthy. So when Jesus says that he is the amen, the words of the amen, what he is saying is that he is true and he's going to pronounce words that are true. You remember Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Here is the truth, pronouncing truth. You better pay attention. It's significant. And he says in verse 15, this just really surprises me. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? He would rather you be cold than be a lukewarm Christian. The word for hot here is zestos. I wonder if zesto hamburgers came from this. The word zestos doesn't just mean hot, it means boiling point. It means about to vaporize. It is that hot, it is that on fire. The word for cold is sucrose, and it means freezing. It means icy cold. So it's not just warm, it's not just cool. Jesus said, I want you to be on fire, or I would rather you be freezing than to be lukewarm. Lukewarm, just the the word means tepid. Do you remember the water supply came from the hot springs in Hierapolis, six miles north, came from the cold water of Colossae, 10 miles east? When you travel on an open aqueduct, that distance, by the time the water reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm. There was no water really fit to drink. It was either lukewarm from the hot springs, it was lukewarm from the cold water of Colossae, And not only that, but the minerals that invaded the water from the ground had sulfur in it. Have you ever been to the beach years ago when they used to purify the water at the beach with sulfur? I mean, you could smell it. 
And if you ever drank it, it was disgusting. That's what this, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Laodicea, you know what lukewarm water is like that smells and tastes of sulfur. That's what a lukewarm Christian is to me. They had compromised. They had become lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold, just they had settled somewhere comfortably in between. They had compromised. And Jesus says, that's useless. It's like uh, salt that has lost its savor. It's no good for anything else but to be tossed out and trodden underfoot of men. Jesus says, if you're hot, if you're on fire, if you're boiling, I can put you to work. If you're freezing cold, I have the chance to save you. And you might be of use one day, but if you are a lukewarm Christian, you are useless. You know, there's some things that we can be indifferent and apathetic about. But there's some things that you cannot be indifferent about. You cannot look at the cross and and see what God has done for you and be right with God and remain indifferent to his sacrifice. As a matter of fact, I think lukewarm Christian Um, is an oxymoron. Those two words just cannot go together. There's no way you can be Christian and be lukewarm. Because if you're a Christian, God can use you on fire. If you're not a Christian, you're cold and he can save you. But a lukewarm Christian is useless. It reminded me of something I heard years ago by a guy named Wilbur Reese. He wrote this tongue-in-cheek comment that captures this sentiment. He says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough of him to equal a cup of warm milk or snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack, please. I would like to buy $3 worth of God. You know, folks don't mind having a little bit of God in their lives as long as he doesn't get in the way, as long as he doesn't upset the apple cart. We don't mind having God on the shelf along with our other interests and, uh, and desires, but we get a little nervous if he, if he desires to be number one in our life and take priority and make some radical changes in how we live. As long as, as he doesn't vie for priority, as long as he is one among many, we're comfortable. But the problem with that is God says that's what makes him sick. He has a different idea about the one thing because when he comes to us, he has one deal and one deal only. He says, I give you all I am, and in return, I expect all you have. God doesn't just give us a little of himself and expect a little of ourselves in return. It's all or nothing, both ways. Because if you don't do that, in verse 16, this is what happens. 
Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. I don't know what translation you're using, but let me tell you, this translation is not an accurate translation of the Greek. Because the Greek word for spew is emeo. And emeo literally means to vomit. We get the word emetic from it today. Emetic means something that causes you to throw up, like ipecac. I think they're emesis basins in the hospital, and you know what those are used for. They come from the word emeo, which is the word here for spew or spit. It does not mean spew. It means to regurgitate. It means to vomit. That's what a lukewarm Christian does to God. It makes him so nauseated, so sick to his stomach, that he has no recourse but to vomit it out of his mouth. You think you have everything, and yet you have nothing. He says in verses 17 and 18, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You think because you're wealthy, you don't need anything? God says, you think because you are self-sufficient and smugly self-satisfied, you don't need me? I'll tell you what reality is, God says. You are not wealthy. Verse 17, you are poor. You are not well-dressed. You remember? They had this dark wool. They thought they were well-dressed. They were the focal point of, of Modern dress, you are not well-dressed. You are naked, God says. You think you're proud of that salve in your eye that, that takes care of ailments? That means nothing. You are blind, says God. All the things that you are proud of, all the things that you derive comfort from mean absolutely nothing from God's perspective. Everything that Laodicea was proud of, their wealth, their dress, they're medicine. God says you're poor in his sight. He says you're naked in his sight. He says you're blind in his sight. It means absolutely nothing. And so what does he do? Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and chasten. So be zealous and repent. How about that? God still loves us. We can be indifferent toward him, but he never becomes indifferent toward us. He doesn't write us off just because we write him off. He still loves us. And those whom he loves, he chastens. Why does he chasten us? He, he disciplines us because he loves us. If you see a child who's never disciplined, that means they're not loved because it takes energy and time and focus to discipline a child. And that's what God does for us. He loves us and he disciplines us. He loves us like we are, but he loves us too much to leave us like we are. Can I say that again? He loves us like we are, but because he loves us, he can't leave us like we are. He chastens us. He disciplines us. And then he says, be zealous and repent. It's interesting. The word for zealous here is the same word for hot above. Be boiling hot, zestos. Be on fire for Jesus and repent. Repent means a change in mind that results in a change in direction. 
if you change your mind but don't change your direction, you're going to make the same mistake again. But repentance means to change your mind and change your direction. So you don't keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. That's what true repentance is. Be zealous and repent. And then we come to verse 20, which is probably the most famous verse in this whole passage. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. The knocking and the dining are present tense. It's action. It's knocking, standing, knocking. I don't want you to get the idea. Let's throw the picture up of Jesus knocking at the door. This is the famous picture by Holman Hunt. What I love, I've seen this picture on a lot of funeral home fans over the years. You probably have too. What I love about this picture is the light that emanates from Jesus. And what I want you to remember from this picture are a couple things. First of all, he says, I stand at the door and knock. That is present tense in the Greek. Present tense means continuous action. I stand and knock. I'm standing, knocking, standing, knocking. It doesn't stop. He never quits. It is continuous. I'm knocking and standing. And he will continue doing that. The light emanates. A person, when Holman Hunt painted this picture, a critic came up and said, you made a mistake in the painting. What you, what's missing? You left out the doorknob on the outside. And Holman Hunt replied, that's not a mistake because you can only open the door from the inside.